Have you ever wondered what it's like for other people to go through a life event? Is it the same for them? Is it different? And how? My name is Dr. Nikkel Rogers-Webb. I'm a psychologist. I'm doing a podcast with my mom, Dr. Elsa Rogers, Dean of General Studies. And we're going to be talking to different people about what it's like to go through a single life event at the same time. Do you remember being a kid and being asked what you wanted to do when you grow up? And sky was the limit. You could imagine being an astronaut or maybe in the rodeo or a pediatrician, or maybe you'd be a pediatrician who rode with the rodeo while going into outer space. Anything was possible, right? Well, what about when you actually became an adult? Uh, that might have been when things got a little more murky. Our guest this week is Amy Johnson, and she tells us about her experience of finding her way as an adult. Welcome back to At The Same Time, everyone. My name is Dr. Nikkel, and my co-host, Dr. Elsa, um, may or may not be able to join us, um, as is probably not a surprise to everybody, you know, internet can be spotty. So if she's able to join us, um, she will. But if you only hear me this episode, that's why. So today we have a really, really neat conversation that I've been looking forward to. So as you know, this season's theme is now what? We've all had these moments at different points in our lives. And so um, we were looking for somebody who could kind of talk about that experience from the point of view of having done all of this education and having gone to graduate school and, you know, getting out of that and going, oh my gosh. So we are lucky to have Amy Johnson joining us on the podcast today. And Amy, can you just introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am based in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um, I'm an artist, and I'm also a health coach, and I work with creative women to help them overcome dysfunctional eating so they can focus on what really matters to them in their life. Very cool. So I just kind of want to dive back in, and actually, we had an overlap that I didn't realize we had. Um, my All my research in graduate school was on eating disorders and body image oh, wow. and things like that. So we might end up, you know, <laughs> Whoa, super interesting. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize we had that overlap. So I'm excited about that. Cool. Um, so tell us a little bit and just so that people know, Amy and I have a little of like early life overlap in that even though we've never met, we went to the same college in Tennessee. And so I wonder how you went from, you know, our little liberal arts college to like, what did you do after for work or graduate school? And yeah, so just kind of tell us about your pathway. Yeah, so I, yeah, I went to Sewanee and I, I actually went into college thinking I was going to be a doctor. Oh, well, <laughs> so <me too. laughs> yeah, so we have that in common too. Um, and so I started pre-med and then ended up, and we can talk about this more if you want to, but I ended up becoming an art major, which is a pretty big change. Actually, um, I'm curious because we're kind of talking about this whole, like, my life is not, you know, linear sort yeah. of experience. Yeah. So I started, 
you know, I think the reason I started pre-med is because I knew that I wanted to help people and I knew that I wanted to make the world a better place. And the most obvious thing I could come up with for that was doctor. Mm. Um, not that that's like an obvious, you know, not to, to criticize that choice at all because it's an amazing choice, but it, it wasn't the right choice for me, but I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's why I chose that. And, and to kind of preface that before I went to college, I had a pretty intense experience because I had at first when I was 18, I wanted to be a cowgirl and I wanted to train horses. And I, I like dove into that and had a really, um, just like I ended up working for a horse trainer that was pretty abusive and it was, uh, like a, essentially a me too situation. So I just had this really intense experience that did not go well. (laughs) So when I decided to go to college, I was kind of like lost and broken in a way. And, and so I think I just wasn't very connected to myself and what I really wanted. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so I was like, okay, I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to go to college and do that. So that's, that's kind of the backstory of why I think I ended up deciding to be pre-med. And then as I was going through classes and realizing that the classes I was taking didn't really suit me. (laughs) I wasn't Mm -hmm. very good at them. (laughs) Um, I ended up deciding I was going to design my own major. So I sort of shifted from like just wanting to be a doctor to designing my own major around kind of like public health and social justice and and like, and photography. (laughs) Like I kind of had this idea that I wanted to put them all together. And, and I started meeting with faculty and they were basically like, okay, go talk to this the art guy, like he, he'll deal with you. (laughs) Like he's open-minded. So I was like, okay. So then that's how I met my professor in art at Sewanee. And he really became an important mentor. And so then I ended up deciding to major in art. And I think part of it was because I had such a great mentor. And then part of it was because I, I think I realized that studying art would allow me to be interested in anything, you know, because I could be interested in anything. I could be interested in social justice or health um, community health issues. And I, and I could study that and make work about that. And so mm-hmm. being an art major really made sense to me in order to, you know, that I could be interested in anything. And, and also, I think I needed some help examining myself and my life and what I had been through. And art was really good for that. Art it enabled you to really be able, it sounds like it opened up your horizons. Yeah. Um, realizing that that it can take you a lot of different places. So after Sewanee, what did you decide to do? Yeah, so I was I was pretty committed to being an artist when I graduated from Sewanee. And I actually stayed in Sewanee for a year and um, was a nanny for that professor that I was talking oh, about okay. and his wife. And in, in order to live with them and use their darkroom, because I was into darkroom photography. Mm-hmm. So that was a really great time for me to have that year there and just kind of be part of the community and be working on my art practice and spend time with their family because they were a very healing place for me. Oh, good. Um, yeah. So then, but yeah, like I was saying, I was pretty committed to being an artist. So I moved, I ended up moving to Chattanooga, which is an hour away from Sewanee and just trying to pursue being an artist. I didn't really know how (laughs) Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, and you know, looking back on it, I realized, I didn't really, I also really didn't know how to ask for help or to like seek guidance. So I just sort of was like wandering around in the dark trying to figure out how to be an artist. And I, so I was working lots of different jobs 
customer service jobs at restaurants. And I worked, my parents actually had a small farm. So I also helped them on their farm, like taking care of animals and doing the garden. Um, So I just did a bunch of different stuff. I worked for a nonprofit that was a mobile grocery store trying to get healthy food into food deserts. Um, So just like all kinds of stuff at the same time as trying to keep making work and get grants and do projects and be an artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I got myself into some pretty nice debt <laughs> and oh, just, gosh. you know, it was, it was definitely a struggle trying to figure out how to do that. And, um, and so that a few years after that was when I decided I would go to graduate school to get my MFA so I could okay become a professor. That was my plan was I'll be, I'll teach art and that'll uh-huh. be, that'll be how I'll have like a stable life and income and be able to be an artist. Okay. So it sounds like at every layer, you're like, I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to have a plan. (laughs) Yeah. I love how I think I can do that. (laughs) And then what happened? So you were going to go to graduate school. You're going to become a professor. Yeah. So I applied to grad schools. I ended up getting into the University of New Mexico, which was really an honor to get accepted into that program because it's a really good program. So I moved, my partner and I moved out to Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is where we still live. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I went to grad school at UNM and uh, got my MFA and did not become a professor. <laughs> mm. When you, because how long is that program? Because for some programs, it's like two years and then you're back out. Some are longer. Was that like a, a two-year Yeah, so UNM has a three-year program, which I really wanted. And they're also, it's a teaching program. So when you're a graduate student, you're teaching undergrads. Okay, so you got a feel for it. What did you think of it? Yeah, so I got to teach, I mean, basically from my first semester, all three years I got to teach. And I there's a lot of things that I really loved about it. I love my students. I love seeing their work. I loved having one-on-one conversations with them about their work and having critiques with the group. I, what I wasn't as excited about was kind of the, the structure of being in the university system and the, the actual like lecturing and teaching part, Mm -hmm. but the interaction with the students and helping them with their work and talking through stuff going on in their lives was, you know, amazing. Like that was the part of it I loved. And, and And grad school also was an amazing experience for me because of um, my own work, like the process of understanding my own work, because it was very, very intense and very challenging, very stressful. Yeah. (laughs) And I was constantly throughout the process asking myself, you know, should I be doing this? I really want to be doing this. And I was also, because I didn't make great financial decisions beforehand, I was basically took out all the loans I could take to be in grad school. So I was stressing out about the money and blah, blah, blah. But really overall, when I think about that experience, it was really amazing. And I had amazing mentors and peers and the, the process, at least the way it was done at UNM, the process of, um, of actually being a practicing artist and having to do critiques and having to articulate your work. And, you know, we had to write a thesis paper. We also had to give a public talk and there were opportunities for talks throughout. And so that process 
of me having to figure out how to articulate what my work was about and what I cared about and what I wanted to say to people was extremely helpful in in just learning about myself and learning about the world and and really healing for me. It turned out to be I, I turned I ended up making work actually about my experience of trying to be a cowgirl and my experience with that horse trainer. Oh, and okay. really being able to like connect my personal experience with bigger social issues and having a chance to kind of talk back in a way. And like, mm-hmm. um, I ended up making this suit for myself. That's a, a nudie suit. Are you familiar with nudie suits? I'm by not, any no, <laughs> they're sort of coming back into fashion, interestingly, but uh, basically there was a tailor named nudie Cohen back in the, I'm going to say forties, fifties, sixties, seventies was kind of his time period. And he was making uh, these like really beautiful, colorful suits with embroidery and rhinestones on them for um, country music stars and also oh. like Hollywood cowboy stars. Uh-huh. So he kind of came up with the rhinestone cowboy thing okay. and the look. So anyway, I made myself a nudie suit that sort of had images on it about my experience. And then I ended up covering country songs too that men wrote about women. So wow. anyway, it was just like, that experience of figuring out that that's what I wanted to do with my work was really healing for me and really, really fun. So grad school was, it was a really an incredible experience for me and like really important in understanding the world and how I fit into it. And mm-hmm. a lot of things, because of these amazing teachers that I had, I, a lot of things that I had sort of struggled against and with in society started to make sense to me and I was able to articulate them which was really helpful um to like stop <laughs> just stop kind of struggling with it and be able to go oh that's the problem oh that's the problem and be more kind of articulate about it um not that yeah. means so much because you know the earlier that we are able to do that in life um the more healing it is not only for us but to be able to have those conversations with other people because it's kind of that that being able to process the experience that we had and put words to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, sooner rather than later. It sounds like that was really perfectly timed for you. Yeah, it was. It was really. I'm very very grateful for my teachers and my peers and the just that that program that I went through. Um, but yeah, when I graduated my plan, my nice little plan mm-hmm. of becoming a professor. <laughs> I realized when I graduated that I, that I, you know, my heart and soul didn't want to, that that's not what I wanted to do, unfortunately, because yeah. it was a really great plan. <laughs> so was that your now what moment? Like, oh my gosh, because I'm remembering what you said about, you know, I ended up in a lot of debt after undergrad, and then I had to take out student loans to do graduate school. And so the plan probably was, I, you know, I can figure this out. And now I am finished. I did something really meaningful, but it now what? Because it, it's not taking me down the same path that I thought I was going to go. Totally. Yes. I had a, a major now what moment <laughs> after grad school. Uh-huh. I think sometimes I refer to it as a crisis. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, it was, it was like, you know, my, yeah, my plan was I was going to get a tenured professor position and that was going to allow me to pay my debt off and Mm -hmm. have an art practice and teach. And it was going to be great. Um, 
And I think the reason I thought that that was my plan was because I had had these amazing professors. I was like, they're amazing. I want to be like them. But yeah, the, the crisis was kind of like, okay, I have my MFA. I now have more debt than I had before. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, and here I am again, not knowing what to do or how to do, you know, how to do life as an artist and a creative person. And so it was kind of a financial crisis and like a practical crisis, oh, but yeah. also, but also just like a, like kind of a soul crisis <laughs> because I was like, I want so badly to do something that feels meaningful to me that I care about. And I want to make the world a better, you know, I want to do something to feel like I'm contributing to the world and, and that also feels satisfying to me. And I just have no idea how to do that mm. and also survive. <laughs> and isn't that the thing that becomes this very um, imminent, like I've got to make a decision. I can't just kind of coast, I would yeah. imagine, because like you said, it's a, it's a financial as well as like a personal and soul crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And because I had a bunch of debt, it was like, I had to pay bills every month. So I, I, I yeah. couldn't like hang out for a while and think about it. I was like, I got to jump into work. So, um, which, you know, I was, I actually was able to find a job right after I graduated with an, an artist in oh. Santa Fe who was amazing. And she just being in her presence was really helpful for me. Cause she was just this really happy, really amazing person who was like, did a lot of different things with her art practice and sort of figured out how to make enough money and was just really inspiring to be around. And she paid me really well. I only, it was a temporary job because I was helping her archive her work. So it was mm -hmm. just for the summer, but that was really, really helpful. And I think what I got from her was you can be a creative person and an artist and also, you know, enjoy your life and do other things and figure it out. <laughs> And so that was helpful just to see an example of somebody doing that. Well, and if I may, I want to bring something back because I always feel like this is cheating when I chat with my guests before we <laughs> record because <laughs> we end up talking about cool things. But before we record, started recording, you shared with me that you had so many different interests that it often felt like, ooh, this is wrong that I'm not like, I don't have tunnel vision on this one skill set. And it sounds like this artist that you worked with after finishing your MFA, you saw her living the reality of life can be quite joyful and successful if you dabble in a lot of things, like follow your bliss, essentially. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, and I was, I think I was saying to you before we started recording that I call myself a multi-passionate person, which I got from Marie Forleo. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but no. I love her. She's, she's really great. She's a, she's a business coach, I guess is how I would describe her, but she has like a weekly TV show called Marie TV. She's just like an inspiring, lovely, wonderful person. And she does all these great interviews with amazing people, but she helped me come up with that term of multi-passionate person mm -hmm. and and to think of it as a good thing as opposed to like a burden and a problem because I think I've struggled with it my whole life of being like oh why can't you just pick one thing and be a normal person mm. <laughs> just like pick one thing and stick with it and like you know get a paycheck and live your life <laughs> right right which might be us doing it backwards 
And I think <laughs> my co-host may be here. Mom, are you there? Yes, I am. Yes, <laughs> I am. I'm sorry, Amy. We've had some technical difficulty. For some reason, my computer decided it was not going to allow me to use Zencaster today at all. Oh. Yeah, and somehow just about five minutes ago, um, you know, these computers could be rather temperamental. So suddenly, <laughs> I'm going to let you back in. So here I am. And I've been I've been really uh, enjoying uh, listening to what you've been saying. I like, I like the term multi, what is it, multi? Multi-passionate. Multi-passionate. I like that because I think many of us are kind of afraid to be multi-passionate. We want to be that normal person. I have found my reason for being, and therefore I am going to do this, and I, I should not deviate in any way. And it's kind of, I think sometimes it's kind of scary to be, like you said, multi-passionate, because we all, we're all striving for the, I, I hate to say this, the almighty dollar, something that will make us happy, but at the same time, give us some degree of satisfaction, both emotionally as well as financially. And we are trying mm-hmm. to choose the best one possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I'm really glad that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so then, Amy, after the archiving project that you did, what, was it another, okay, um, I don't have a plan for what's coming next? Or did you, I guess, end up having something fall in your lap? Well, so I decided because I wasn't sure what to do. And I still, I think at this yeah, I, I was kind of still in the now what moment, but I knew I decided that I wanted to be around horses again. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, in the meantime, while I figure out now what, I'm going to at least hang out with horses. <laughs> so I got a job working for a horse trainer, basically in Albuquerque, a little bit outside of the city. So I was, I started working for her. So I was like, you know, cleaning, I think I was the barn manager. So I was like cleaning stalls and feeding horses and moving them around and dealing with the clients and just kind of helping run the barn. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that for work. And in a way that was really also really nice and healing to just be outside all day and be around horses again and, and do physical work after a bunch of years of doing a lot of like really emotional and intellectual work. Yeah. So I was doing that. And that while I was doing that, I was listening to podcasts and reading books. And I actually hired a business coach who was a friend of a friend who was a business coach for artists. So her thing was to help artists figure out how to start their own business. Oh. And yeah, and I had kind of, I had also, I found this book in the kind of the depths of the financial part of the crisis. I found this book called You're a Badass at Making Money. <laughs> um, by Jen Sincero. Do you know that? But, no, but I love the title. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she, she's great. And she actually lives in Santa Fe. So she's close to where I live. But anyway, so yeah, I found this book, You're a Badass at Making Money. And it really, you know, she was a writer and a creative person and really struggling financially. And just like, I think in her 30s, maybe, which is what I, you know, I related to her story. And she figured out how to get herself out of the hole and like make good money doing creative stuff as a writer. And so it really inspired me and it made me think, oh, I could be an entrepreneur. And I started thinking about how my experience as an artist really aligned with 
what it would be like to be an entrepreneur. And I kind of started to think that my personality would work well for that. Mm. So I, I got it in my head that I was going to start a business, but I didn't know what business. So then I hired this coach while I was working at the barn and she kind of helped me. She, she took me through this exercise to where I basically went through all the jobs I had ever had and everything I had ever done Mm -hmm. (laughs) and thinking about like what, was sort of a thread that ran through all of it consistently. And the word that I came up with was healing. Mm. So I decided I was going to start a business that had to do with healing. So I was kind of working through that. And I ended up deciding to enroll in health, a health coaching training program through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason for that was that I was having some health issues myself that I wanted to figure out. And then I don't know, it just felt like a good fit. And it kind of aligned with this theme that I'd figured out of healing. And I really liked my coach. And I was like, coaching sounds interesting. So I ended up doing this health coach training program. And (laughs) around the time I started that I got bucked off a horse at my job and broke my back. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So yeah, so I was basically had to just kind of lie down at home for a few months. And so I was studying to this health, I was studying to be a health coach. And I had all this time alone at home to think about my life. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Um, And that experience, those things together, and that experience of, of getting bucked off the horse and breaking my back really solidified for me that I wanted to prioritize my health and and taking care of my body. And, and I wanted to, basically, I prom I made a promise to myself that I would always prioritize taking care of my body and my health. And the other piece of that is that I had this really strong intuition not to ride that horse, and I didn't listen to it. Oh, wow! <laughs> and so another part of that was like, I basically made a promise to myself that I would always listen to my intuition moving forward. Mm-hmm. So So yeah, so that's kind of how I got started on the path to becoming a health coach. And then through that, I was figuring out what I wanted to focus on in my health coaching practice. And I was, which I haven't even talked about this yet, but throughout a lot of my younger years, I really struggled with disordered eating and my relationship Mm -hmm. to my body. Mm -hmm. So when I was thinking about health coaching, I started to realize, oh yeah, that's what I want to focus on. Like that was such a struggle for me for so many years and it's and I and I was able to heal myself from it and heal my relationship with food and my body and so I I just started to shape this idea that I was gonna that was what I was gonna do was help other people do that that's really neat because it it's it sounds like well you did this I think as far as the world would say is backward because we're supposed to like decide and then mm-hmm. go study, and then go get a job. But then what happens is we, we're in our 40s or 50s, and we have a midlife crisis, right? Mm-hmm. And go, oh my gosh. I'm like, what yeah, is I'm this? hoping I've already gotten that out of the way. Right? <laughs> but yeah. I, I really love what you did, because you looked within. You didn't um, commit until it felt organically, like, authentic. Mm-hmm. But mom, I think I interrupted you. I'm sorry. What were you going to say? No, I, I'm listening to both of you. And uh, as someone with a, a perspective, being much older, I have found that um, we tend to change uh, careers at least maybe six or seven times in our lives. And sometimes 
when we are young, we want to get a grasp of the first thing that comes our way. But as we get older, we become a little more introspective and we look at maybe the work-life balance. We look at the self-care that Amy was talking about. And that leads us to perhaps a different profession, a different career as it is. But looking Mm. in what is something that I think when we are younger, we don't necessarily uh, pay much attention to. But as we get older, we realize that that intuition, like not riding the horse, that is something we need to pay attention to. Well, mm-hmm. I think you make a, a good um, a good point. I think about more traditional like corporate careers that talk about like paying your dues. And mm-hmm. no, you shouldn't um, have a weekend and you should work all these crazy hours and ignore, you know, what your body and your soul need um, because you're climbing a ladder. And I think, you know, to your point, mom, if we, if we're really paying attention to ourselves and to our relationships and, and things like that, we go, well, now, wait a minute. Am I missing it? Like I'm in the middle of my life. Am I missing it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear you say that people change careers six or seven times. <laughs> it's like, so such a relief to hear that. Cause I feel like I've just, I've, I've always sort of been hard on myself about that, that I can't seem to pick something and stick with it. Well, but I also wonder, you know, from a um, vocational theory and therapy, because that was part of my doctoral degree. Like I had to learn all about like vocational psychology and how people work through the world of work and that whole kind of part of their lives that it's changed because it used to be prized that you got, a job and you stay there for 30 years. Hmm. And I think in a way, like things like tenure encourage that, right? Find mm-hmm. your job and lock it in until you retire. And the world of work, I think, I mean, I agree with you, mom. It doesn't, it doesn't look that way anymore. And people shift not just for promotion, but because I want to have a flexible schedule or I want to do something that has me in contact with a lot of different kinds of people or whatever it is. Correct. Correct. And we must not be afraid to to kind of, you know, be true to ourselves. Most of the time we aren't because Mm. my friends are doing it this way. Uh, This is the way it ought to be. And there is no rule about what life ought to be. As long as you're not breaking any laws and you're an ethical person, I don't see a problem with your being true to yourself. Because first and foremost, you have to take care of you. So if it means looking within and then being a bit different from the rest of the world, that's fine too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I made a lot of choices in my younger, well, I don't know if that's true. I was about to say, I think I made a lot of choices in my younger years based on what I thought I should be doing um, as opposed to what, I really wanted for myself. Um, But I think I also made choices about, you know, kind of following a passion. So I think that's really hard. Because I think back to, yeah, I think back to that time and like, I was very linear, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And I, it's very funny when I think about friends of mine who were like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to take this gap year. I'm going to go live abroad. And I, I was like, 
oh my gosh, I feel so bad for you. You don't have a plan. And, you know, I, I executed my plan, but at the end of the plan, I'll never forget. I was about to get my doctoral degree and I went to my supervisor and I was like, I don't think I want to be a psychologist, but I was so far in, like I'm, I'm finishing, but I don't know that I want to do this anymore. And she goes, and that would be okay. But you know, there I was, I was executing my plan mm-hmm. and didn't pick my head up until the end. And I went, Hmm. Mm-hmm. about that <laughs> but you ended up being you did end up doing that right I did ironically um I I was I went and I looked in a lot of different places but there wasn't anything that either I was passionate about or that people said oh yeah we think you can do that because all of my degrees are in psychology and I mm-hmm. did not take a break so I had I had nothing else but this So I did end up going and being a psychologist and I did end up loving it, but I, I have repositioned what I do many times. Like I've Hmm. taught, I've worked with different client populations and now I'm about to change and do something else um, that's still in the field, but it's, it's not therapy anymore. So Hmm. yeah, it, my plan the plan that you set up when you're like a teenager does not necessarily <laughs> fit a few decades later. Yeah. I think it's so interesting to to think about how even if everything changes, like there's certain things that stick around or how they could reappear later in a different form. Like I always, because I think about how, how art is going to keep fitting into my life, even though I'm a coach now, a mm-hmm. health coach, and then also how how horses and animals might come in again later. You know, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm really curious and interested how it could. Yeah. Yeah. So I have another question for you. So you knew after working with that business coach, okay, I want to do something that involves healing. And after breaking your back, you knew I need to prioritize listening to myself and taking care of myself. So Mm -hmm. how did you, because I, Creating something out of thin air is like <laughs> so scary. And how does one even do this? So how did you go from, I have a sense of what I want the meaning to be or what I want my life to be about to, okay, I've created a business and I am coaching and I'm helping people. Yeah. Well, I did a lot of stressing out and <laughs> like, I was thinking like, a, like much gnashing of teeth <laughs> Um, I mean, I had a lot of time when my back was broken. I had, I didn't go to work cause I couldn't walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, I had a lot of time to do soul searching. So I feel like a lot was happening during that time that was kind of forming what I would end up choosing to do. Um, and then I, I ended up as I was finishing the health coaching program, I was, you know, basically I knew I needed to, to pick something specific. Cause I couldn't just go out there and be like, I am a health coach. I can help you be healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and I, for some reason, I kind of resisted the focusing on the disordered eating. I don't, I'm not really sure why I just sort of was, I knew it was there in my past. Mm-hmm. And, but for some reason I wasn't considering it. And I was like trying to think of all these other things that nothing felt right. And it was very confusing and frustrating. Um, and then I ended up working with another business coach who 
kind of forced it out of me. <laughs> oh. um, not really, but just like through working with her and talking with her, I was like, okay, like I know what I need to, to do. And I, it really was just, she had me write out, you know, my kind of health story a bunch of times and just keep going back to it and keep going back to it. And I, I realized that, you know, the most significant part of my past in terms of my health and my body was my struggle with disordered eating. And, and, and also I think the reason that that ended up being what I chose to focus on is because it's so connected to all these other things that are really important to me, like learning how to connect to yourself and listen to your intuition, learning how to trust yourself. And also these bigger social issues that I've always been trying to understand and wanting to do something about. And so people struggling with disordered eating and struggling with their body is so connected to the, you know, oppression and like, and, and all the social and cultural messages that we get about ourselves. And, and, and also for me, my, my, when I was in kind of the heart of my disordered eating, it was a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And Mm. so for me, it was, it was really about not allowing myself to feel some really big, painful feelings. And, and so it was a coping mechanism and it was, and, and so I, I'm also like really interested in trauma and healing. And so I think focusing on this really allows me to be engaged in a bunch of different areas that I'm really passionate about and interested in. Mm-hmm. And I get the privilege of like working with amazing people and helping them to heal their relationship to their body and food so they can like actually figure out what they want to do with their lives and not just spend all this time and energy struggling against themselves. Yeah. You know, it seems as though you've really done a lot for yourself um, in terms of getting to understand what, uh, what hindered you from really being true to yourself. And it's it's really admirable because not many people are actually honest with themselves in time. And of course you had some help in doing this, but even so, I think it's very admirable. You should be proud of yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Amy, something that I wondered, and like, do you use art in your coaching at all? That's such a good question. I. I want to. I haven't quite figured out how they can fit together yet, but I've definitely that's something that I'm definitely thinking about all the time. Like when I first started thinking about my business, I was thinking about leading retreats. And in the retreat, we would do some body work and yoga and stuff like that, but we would also do some creative work. Mm-hmm. So either, you know, photography or drawing or performing or something or I even thought about doing something with textiles like the suit that I made so it's definitely something I think about but actually right around the time I was getting going with my business you know COVID was Uh, the timing actually worked out because I decided not to try to do the retreat thing and to focus on coaching one-on-one instead mm -hmm. Um, and that was probably a good move because retreats would have been out of the question so but yeah I it's for me, my my art practice and creative process was very, very healing for me. So I definitely think about it all the time. I just haven't quite 
figured out how to to work with it and and same with horses you know there's a lot of people out there doing healing work with horses and therapy and so I can imagine that coming into play in the future as well yeah because I I mean I know that there there's some overlap there's some differences and overlap with doing psychotherapy and coaching um but Mm -hmm. they you know they seek both disciplines seek to help people and I just didn't know if there was like in therapy you have equine and then art therapy and I didn't know if coaching had the same pieces to it. I think it can. I mean, I think what I'm excited about with coaching is that it can kind of be anything that you want. You know, mm-hmm. it's, um, I don't know that it's that new of a field, but I think it's a growing field and, and it, it just, yeah, it seems like, I, I think it's similar to when I decided to major in art in college. Cause I was like, Oh, I can be interested in anything I want and uh, study art okay. and be an artist. Mm-hmm. I think coaching is kind of similar for me. It's like, I can be, I can be interested and engaged in anything I want while doing, if this is my job. Yeah. And I get to have conversations, like deep conversations with amazing people. Like, yes, please sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> like I get to do that for my job. That is a really cool thing. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Now, um, you talk, uh, Nikhil asked a question about um, art in your, in your coaching. Um, but I'm kind of curious as a layman, since I'm not very familiar with art. There are different types. You know, you have the photography, you have the all of these. What's your favorite? Hmm. Um, good question. I think I was drawn to photography, I think partly because of the mentor that I found who was just such an important part of my life, and that was what he taught. Uh-huh. Um. But yeah, I think I love photography. I also, when I was in graduate school, I started working with performance Mm -hmm. and that was really helpful for me in terms of healing because I was able to actually kind of embody things more and like use my voice and use my body to, to talk about the things that I was making work about and, and which were things that I needed healing in. Um, Mm. So performance ended up also when I was really young, one of the first things I wanted to do was be an actor. (laughs) So Mm. I still think about that too, but so performance allowed me to, it it was very healing for me because it allowed me to kind of like come out of my shell and be a little more visible and vocal and use my body. Yeah. So I really love performance as well, but Photography will always be special to me. I also think about painting a lot. (laughs) I love painting. And so I, I, for some reason, I think about painting as something I'll do when I'm older. (laughs) I'm like, I'll have a studio and I'll paint all day. (laughs) Is it like, um, who's that guy that was on PBS? Is it Bob Ross? Yeah. That everybody loves to just like, you don't even have to paint with him. You just like to watch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's great. (laughs) But yeah, you must have you must still have some ability though, and that's one of the things that I lack. <laughs> you know, I, I wonder how people can do this. Uh, you know, you see someone say, "Oh, you need to just make a circle and make this and and color it," and I I don't have that ability. Well, I- maybe photography would be a good. I mean, I think what I love about photography is like you just get to go out in the world and sort of look and just be mm-hmm. drawn be drawn to things. It's not like you're not having to, you're not sitting in front of a blank canvas and having to just come up with something. It's more like you get to engage with the world and, and sort of follow your, 
intuition and yeah. and find things that are interesting to you and you're using a tool that kind of you know you're you're making the image but the tool is also making the image so there's mm-hmm. a part of the process that isn't totally in your control and it can that can be really fun yeah i think i think really think so you know you especially if you have an eye for it like some people can take pictures and the the their perspective is so different depending on the angle that they take it from and it's, oh yeah i would love to be able to do that mm-hmm. yeah you could totally do that yeah <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to take away from this podcast. All <laughs> right, go get a camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and like maybe the easiest way is to use a phone, or you could get a Polaroid. Polaroid's making cameras again now, and they're really fun. Yes, yes, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Oh. Polaroid's really fun to play with. Oh, yeah, it really is. So tell me, are you happy with what you're doing right now, Amy? I love what I'm doing. I like. I love coaching. I love my clients. I feel really, really lucky to get to to do this for a living. And I mean, starting the business, my business is relatively new. So there's definitely some fear that comes up around the business part of it. Just like, you know, knowing if I'm going to, you know, not knowing how I'm going to make my income or, you know, there's like a lot of fear <clears throat> around that because it's like kind of taking a risk and, mm-hmm. But it's also, I think that that is also really good for me. <laughs> yeah. So that process has been, I, I'm actually really enjoying the process of like feeling the fear and moving forward anyway and trusting that it's going to be okay. And then, mm-hmm. and learning stuff about business and learning how to ask for help. And yeah. and then, but the coaching part of it is amazing. I love it. That's so good. So it sounds like this is the right right fit for you at least for right now yeah for sure did you have to take any sort of um let's say business classes or anything at all to start your business or did you just simply have an intuition as to what's needed I well the health coaching program that I did was sort of a lot there was a most of the information was about nutrition so I studied integrative nutrition but they also had there was also part of the study was about coaching skills. And then part of it was about starting a business. There wasn't a lot, there really wasn't much though in that Mm -hmm. area. So I kind of just was hoping that I would figure it out. (laughs) And then I hired a business. I, now I work with a business coach. So that she helped me come up with a business plan and she connected me with, um, somebody who was able to help me with like getting my bookkeeping set up. And I, now I'm working with an accounting firm to help me with my taxes. So, and the, the, the very initial part of starting the business, I just went to the, um, like the local, um, oh, the small business development center here in the city. And they helped me like get my, you know, set up with the IRS and get my business license and, kind of like the formal stuff that I had to do to start. So is that what you were talking about when you were saying, you know, I really had to learn when to ask for help because between the business coach and the accounting firm and the small business group that helped you get set up, there there's a lot of logistics to doing what you do. Yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, like finding, realizing that it was worth um, 
the risk of paying for an accounting firm to help me. It was just like that took a huge weight off my shoulders sure. to know that I've got some professional people looking at my books. <laughs> like, um, yeah. And then like, yeah, having a coach and I'm my business coach is yeah, there's a group of us. So I have like this really amazing support group as well as the coach. So yeah, having support, I think was crucial. I don't think I could be doing this without that because it would be too scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I guess what I, I wonder in terms of advice that you might give, because I, I think of it in two la- layers. What kind of advice would you give, you know, a recent college or graduate school graduate about the now what experience that some of them might be having? And then I also wonder, mm. what about what advice would you give like a new entrepreneur? Because I feel as though having your own business is frequently a now what sort of a thing because that, that Mm -hmm. uncertainty, I mean, I, I did it for like a little bit, but that Mm -hmm. constant, like, Oh, do I, uh, it wasn't for me. (laughs) So I I know that when you talk about that fear, I, I was like, Oh yes, I remember it well. Um, so Mm -hmm. the advice for the recent grads as well as the new entrepreneurs. Yeah. I think in terms of recent grads, I would say if, you can swing it at all like give yourself some time and some space to really think about what you want I think I mean you know you might have to be working so that's fine or if you don't if you have like some family you can go stay with for a few months or something great but just I would say allow give yourself some space and some time to actually like imagine and dream and envision what you want for your life and like don't hold back And then from there, you can kind of get practical about it. Um, I used to teach this exercise in my art foundations class when I was teaching where I think it was, I think we called it the impossible project or something like that. But basically they had to think of like, they had to like dream up the most insane art project Mm -hmm. that would be impossible for them to actually do. Right. Like, so, you know, anything, but like money is no object. Nothing is an object. Just dream it up. Like the craziest thing you can think of. And then from there, we would figure out how to actually make a project. Oh my gosh. Um, that was basically that same thing, but in reality. Wow. <laughs> so I think kind of that idea, like let yourself really think about what your, what your soul wants to do, like really let yourself dream. And then from there you can kind of be like, okay, what could I actually do that would be moving in that direction or that would Mm. sort of align with some of the same things that I want. That, I don't know, that resonates. Like when I hear you say that, because what that makes me think of is that we frequently limit ourselves prematurely. We kind mm-hmm. of say, okay, these are the laws and rules of time, space, money, all of that. And so only that is possible when really mm-hmm. th- that's too limited. Yeah. And I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. But I'm saying though that uh, the exercise of doing something and thinking, okay, money is not an object. What would I do if money were not an object? Because many times, taking up on what Nikhil says and some of what you said, Amy, we limit ourselves because we say, okay, we don't have the time, we don't have the money, we don't have the space, we don't have, and we never kind of 
let ourselves dream big. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. dreaming big, you may not necessarily hit the stars, but you know something, you'll hit the treetops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think I, I didn't let myself do that until relatively recently. And I wish I had let, I wish I had done, that's the advice I wish I had could give myself from when I was graduating. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am mindful of your time. You've given us a lot of it already. Um, is there anything that you would add or any questions, mom, that you have that we didn't ask? No, and I, and I really apologize. I wish I were here from the very beginning, but uh, I will be listening to the entire podcast. Right now, though, I don't have any questions. I just thank Amy very much for her time, her advice, and for sharing her experience. I think it's something that's not totally unique, and I think that all of us can learn something from it. We can take away some nugget that... Uh, we can then apply to our lives. So thank you, Amy. Yes. Thank you so much, Amy, you know, kind of for sharing that those scary moments and how really it it took you down the path you wanted to go down. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. It's always, it's always helpful for me, like the more that I talk about it. So, and I really appreciate your time as well. I wish we had, I wish we could talk about disordered eating. <laughs> like I, now I want to have a whole nother conversation about, about that. Cause it's so interesting that you also studied that. I yeah. think that, that may be a good topic for some other time. You know, when we, where we talk about disordered eating is and, and what causes it and how we can deal with it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I've actually been thinking about it um, a lot because of like, just the diet culture. So even when people Mm -hmm. don't think they're engaging in disordered eating, Mm -hmm. you just listen to what people do with their food and with their bodies. And like, I go, Oh no, 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 no. (laughs) You're allowed to eat that. Like live your life. I always tell my clients because I worked in nursing homes for about three years and I loved it. And one thing that I learned though, you know, like hanging out with people who are in their nineties and hundreds is that at that point, they are not worried about, you know, how their waist looks in a selfie. Um, mm-hmm. When we talk about what their life was like, they, d- they don't tell me what dress size they were wearing when they took that visit to Italy. And the thing that I remember the most is that because of different health issues and swallowing issues, sometimes people have to either have um, a liquid diet or a pureed diet or what have you. And so I think to myself, you know, if that is my situation when I'm 95, I'm going to wish I had eaten the cake. I'm going to eat the cake now. (laughs) Totally. Yes. Yes, totally. Yeah. And diet culture is just so prevalent. It just, it's so normalized. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So if we do something about body image, then I am definitely going to be messaging you to, to ask you to jump on with us again. Awesome. I would love that. Very cool. It's like my favorite things to talk about. Oh, good. Oh, shoot. I forgot one thing I wanted to add to the advice. (laughs) So I was just going to say, on top of allowing yourself to dream, also don't be afraid to ask for help and look for resources. There's so many resources and tools out there and like people who can help you. And I think I didn't realize that for a really long time. And so... Yeah, don't be afraid to ask for help. 
Very cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Amy. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was really fun. I really enjoyed talking with both of you. We enjoyed having you. Yeah. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Bye. And with that, season two of At the Same Time comes to a close. We hope you enjoyed this episode and the season. If this was your first episode with us, please go back and listen to the rest of season two. And we also have season one there for you in your preferred podcast platform. We hope this season brought you comfort and a little inspiration for those times when you are having your own now what moment. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate and subscribe to At The Same Time on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. That way, you won't miss a single episode. We'd love for you to connect with us online. Our website is sametimepod.fireside.fm. You can also follow us on Twitter, at sametimepod. Music by purpleplanet.com. Copyright 2021 by Nikel Rogers Wood, PhD, and Elsa Rogers. PhD.